0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This week on The Takeout, President Trump's very first chief of staff, Reince Priebus. Five, four, three,
1: two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital.
2: Major. Fantastic. It's the takeout. Major, with CBS News Chief Washington correspondent. Major, that's nonsense.
0: Major Garrett.
2: And you should know better. Thank you. Thank you,
0: thank you. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as the Takeout, where every week we are two things: relentlessly curious, steadfastly non-ideological. Happy Black Friday. Happy Cyber Monday to be. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're at Risk Restaurant here in the west end of Washington, D.C. We did an interview a little while ago with the president's first chief of staff, Ryan's Priebus. We originally did that for Sunday morning. You may have seen some of it there. But we want to show you the whole interview. It talks about a book called A Warning written by Anonymous, a senior Trump administration official. We start with the most obvious of questions. Writes previous. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Happy to be here, Major. Did you write or on- Are you anonymous? <laughs> heck, no. I like being anonymous. That's why I don't do too much TV anymore. But for the purposes
0: of this book, you're not the author. Uh, uh, no. Do you have any idea who it is? No. Any clues?
1: No, not particularly. Although I, I of the experts, excuse me, of the excerpts, I saw. It looks like it's some person that came after I was there, because most of the stories seem to not include a lot of the beginning of the White House tenure.
0: Most Americans have no idea what it means to be called a senior administration official. Based on what you've seen, and I know you've only seen a limited amount, does the author, whoever it is, look like someone who would be a senior person inside the Trump White House?
1: I don't think it's a senior person in the sense of what Americans think is senior. You know, me, John Kelly, Mick Mulvaney, Sarah Spicer, you know, the the players that people watch on TV, I don't think it's someone like that. But, you know, there are deputy assistants to the president. There are what's called special assistants to the president. They're all officers of the White House. But I don't think a... Uh, the, the, the general public would look at one of those people and say, oh, that's someone senior. Mm-hmm. That's my sense of what I've seen so far. Someone that's in the room occasionally, not all the time, um, but, but not, the, not a main piece on the chessboard. The depiction
0: of the president is that he is not only volatile, but reckless and that recklessness is a threat to our system of government. How do you respond to
1: that general characterization
0: of the president?
1: Well, I, um, first of all, I don't agree with that characterization. I think, I think folks um, can misread the president in the White House, and part of this is the fact that the president likes to put opposite people around him and learn from really smart people that don't agree with each other about really big things. So in the White House, in front of the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office, you could have Gary Cohn, Bob Lighthizer, Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus, Peter Navarro at the table, and the president says, what do you guys want to do about NAFTA? Well, you couldn't have a more opposite situation than that. But the president sits back and listens to these people that don't agree with each other, argue everything out. And the one person in that room might leave that meeting and say, oh, this is crazy. Why are, you know, we, we have all of this arguing going on about NAFTA. This isn't the way we want to run government. But it's actually very helpful, I think, to the president to learn from all of those different people. I think it can be misinterpreted. The book also
0: suggests the president pops off a lot, says things or gives orders that shock people, that seem to them sometimes to be illegal or borderline illegal.
1: True? Um, I don't think he pops off any more than, you know, other folks in politics pop off. I, I think, sure, I'm sure he gets mad about some things. But, you know, from my perspective, it's very hard to tell. You know, when you come out as an anonymous writer, no one knows to what extent This person actually knows what they're talking about. Nobody really knows whether these quotes or these accusations are true because we don't know who it is. There's no way to judge the veracity of what this person is saying. And therefore, I think it's unreliable, number one, but it's also very hard to comment about something that there's no way to find out. I know what I know. And I think that it's much more complex and complicated than just... A conclusion that says, oh, well, the president pops off too much, or the president's, you know, he forgets things, or he does this as the. Book. Or the
0: president's a threat to our very system of government.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't know how you could say that when you look at the jobs numbers, you look at the fact that ISIS has all been but eviscerated. I'm sure, you know, you can't assume that completely, but you look at the courts. If you're a Republican, I don't think you can be happier with that. If you look at the stock market, I mean, if you look at the fundamentals of our government from a conservative perspective or a Republican perspective, I don't think you could be happier. So I just don't buy the characterization. People might not like how the president makes decisions, but I would argue that by bringing opposite views together in the White House, while it creates some drama in conversation and discussion, I think the results have been very good for the country.
0: The theme, One of the themes of the book is the president is not only unpresidential in public, he's even worse in private, coarse, vulgar, shocking. Is that your experience?
1: No. In fact, my experience is that what people see in public is how the president is behind the scenes. In other words, I think what people see from the president at his chopper talks, at press conferences, when he goes back on Air Force One and talks to the press. At rallies. At his Twitter feed. I think he's extremely open with who he is to the American people. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's the opposite of of that accusation. I think, the, I think the president really doesn't hold anything back.
0: Do you think this writer is a coward?
1: Yes. Because? Um, because I think it's one thing, even in our conversation here, it's one thing to try to provide a little insight as to how the president makes decisions, try to analyze. You know, other people have written books that are not... I think, um, I think it's wrong to disclose all, you know, if, it, if any of this is true, I don't know if it is, but I think it's wrong to disclose private conversations. But I don't think it's wrong to try to analyze the president, and try to explain to people how he makes decisions. This, I just think, is, is just a, a, a cheap way to make money, even if this person apparently is going to give the money away. We'll never know. Um, and I think it's improper. I think it's dishonorable. I'll just read you a couple of things, get your reaction to it.
0: Page 38. This is the anonymous author quoting somebody else who is described as the senior official coming out of a meeting. About a third of the things the president wants us to do are flat out stupid. Another third would be impossible to implement and wouldn't even solve the problem. And a third of them would be flat out illegal. Well, that doesn't leave much room for a good idea or a serviceable notion coming from this president. It's either, according to this person, stupid, unimplementable, or illegal.
1: Well, I mean, again, I don't know. But, I mean, does
0: that in any way characterize your interaction or your term as chief of staff? Everything the president's saying falling into one of those three categories? No,
1: I don't think you can ever use the word everything on anything. I mean, I think it's far too um, simplistic. I don't think things operate that way. Um, I think that of all the decisions that come out of the White House... Very, very few of them are made instantly by the president, most things, whether it be the, you know, for as much talk as we had about the Paris Accord, transgender in the military, all those kinds of decisions that were very high profile, those decisions, in spite of how it may have looked on the outside, they went through weeks and weeks of decision making in the situation room, through deputies committee meetings where, the you know, the principals have deputies and they sit in the situation room, meeting after meeting. The the lawyers sit in meeting after meeting It then graduates to the principals sitting in meeting after meeting. Then it gets brought to the president on a decision memo. And the president then at that point starts hearing all of the arguments on these types of conversations because the Presidential Records Act requires things to be in writing, signed by the president, sent down to the secretary, right? That's how almost every decision is made in the White House. That was my experience in the White House. In spite of how it may have looked on the outside, generally that's how things worked on the inside.
0: That's the voice of Reince Priebus, President Trump's very first chief of staff. I'm Major Garrett. Thanks to Risk for hosting us. Segment two in just a moment.
1: Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. shoppers get it
0: from cbs news this is the takeout with major garrett welcome back thanks so very much for joining us you know i've often said recently that you're the hardest working audience in show business and you are because you have to take in things that you might not agree with or you might even not like to hear this episode might fall into that very category In a time you want to relax and hang out with your family and maybe talk about something other than politics. I get all that. But we thought this was important. The book makes a lot of accusations about things that are going wrong, that are possibly threats to justice. And we wanted someone who was a central witness to at least offer their appraisal. Continuing our conversation with Reince Priebus, the president's first chief of staff. And you have every reason to believe that process is at least to some degree, followed now, even after your departure. It
1: is. I mean, I understand where people try to make this case that, well, the president's, you know, um, just flying through Twitter on whether it be the Mueller investigation or now the impeachment. The book says seat-of-the-pants decision-making. But it it really isn't. I mean, yes, the president's going to defend himself vigorously. I mean, in the Mueller issue, here we have a, a matter that most people concluded that there was no crime of collusion. Therefore, it became an investigation on obstruction. Well, you have a president that, yeah, he was aggressively pushing back on something that he felt like he was erroneously accused of. And I'm sure some people who are safe by nature would say, you know, don't tweet this, don't say this, just sit back and let it happen. Well, he's never gonna be like that. That's not who Donald Trump is and that's not what people voted for.
0: How about just this one sentence? A third of them would be flat out illegal.
1: It's ridiculous. I, I, there's no not way true. to measure that. No, not true. I mean, I, I don't even know how you'd even measure something like that. Like what decision? What what to, idea
0: or suggestion or something the president says out loud. No. Page 45. On more than one occasion, Trump has discussed with the staff the possibility of dropping Vice President Pence in advance of the 2020 election. Although Mr. Pence has been loyal to a fault, the president is always eager to shake things up. And Trump's view of loyalty, of course, is self-serving to the extreme.
1: The area of the parts of the book that I was able to see that, to me, pointed to an author that was out of the loop on that issue was the part of the book that said that Pence would sign this document through. You know, the, uh, be, the 25th be the person Amendment, to put the Twenty Fifth Amendment. He, in would, he would reluctantly go through with it that that is totally impossible and and that part of the book made me believe that this author isn't really a big player inside of the white house the book or the describes a
0: back of the envelope count of which cabinet secretaries would be willing to invoke the 25th amendment any truth to that whatsoever based on your knowledge
1: based on my knowledge none and and, and again completely made up I would think it's completely made up. Perhaps there was one or two people that weren't inside the loop. I don't know who they would be that cooked up or thought of something. They shouldn't be there if that's what they were thinking. They should quit and resign. But there's zero truth to anything I'd ever heard about this issue. How about dropping Pence from the ticket? No. And again, that's the part of this that I think is the, is the the is the most out-of-touch part of the book, especially... The part that indicates that, that Pence would go along with some 25th or Amendment. Or be dropped leg. from the ticket. Or be dropped from the ticket. Right. I, I just, I, I can't see it. And, and, I, never I, and heard I don't it. see the president talking like that in front of other people. I mean, he understands that the things he says to people can leak. And get He's leaked. He's careful about, he, he knows what he wants to leak if he wants it to leak, and he wouldn't do that.
0: Another thing I want to read to you, because I think it's important, because it might stick in people's memory. Page 64. All I can tell you is that normal people who spend any time with Donald Trump are uncomfortable by what they witness. He stumbles, slurs, gets confused, is easily irritated, and has trouble synthesizing information, not occasionally, but with regularity. Those who would claim otherwise are lying to themselves or to the country?
1: You know, I think that as I read some of that in the in the parts that I was able to see, not all of it, um, the president knows his audiences around him. Um, and he doesn't share with every person around him everything that he knows or everything that he's thinking. And you know, I kind of look at it more like, you know, the old Colombo uh, Of the 1970s. Of the 1970s. And, You know, this idea that, oh, he forgets things. No, he he knows what's going on. He's play-acting sometimes. He knows all the different parts going on. And if he's talking to you, he may share with you part of what he's thinking or part of the information that he knows to get your reaction on it. But he might share with you the other two-thirds that he's discussed with someone else. So I actually think it's the opposite. I actually think he's way more 360 degrees on, especially when it comes to how things are perceived, how they're going to play out in the media, and sometimes players like this, this guy, this man or woman who's anonymous, may be such a bit player that they're only seeing part of the story.
0: Picking up on that last sentence, this author is asserting what you just said, you're either lying to yourself or to the country.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: I, I think, So then this author's a liar.
1: I think that the author doesn't understand the full scope of how Donald Trump plays. I mean, I, I think that Trump is so in tune with his narrative and how the narrative fits within the whole scope of American culture that he only shares parts of what he's thinking about individually with folks... Um, and not the whole picture all the time. So I think people have to understand that. And again, I don't know who this person is. I right. don't know what, where they fit in. Uh,
0: there's also a sense. This goes to the question of whether or not the president has a firm commitment to the system of government around the presidency. Page 136. The president has proposed doing away with judges on more than one occasion. Too many of his policies are getting stuck in lingo limbo, he says. Can we just get rid of the judges? Let's get rid of the expletive judges. Trump fumed one morning. There shouldn't be any at all, really. He went a step further and asked his legal team to draft a bill and send it to Congress to reduce the number of federal judges. Staff ignored the outburst and the wacky request.
1: I mean, I I obviously wouldn't have been there for any kind of conversation like that. you have never heard anything like that. Close to that? No. I mean, I've heard he's frustrated with the Ninth Circuit, but who isn't? I mean, so I don't know. That's about it. I mean, all of our all of our early executive orders got stuck out west um, with massive national injunctions. But aside from feeling frustrated by that, I've never heard anything the like say this. Some, no, no, I've never heard something like that before.
0: Uh, this is something right up your alley. Page forty-nine. Smart candidates know that the president's whims become his chief's life, and the person is never really in charge. Trump's children are his chiefs of staff. Random Fox News hosts are his chiefs of staff. Everyone is the chief of staff but the chief of staff.
1: I don't agree with that, but I do agree with the fact that Donald Trump is the chief of staff. The kids aren't the chief of staff all the rest of the folks aren't. Random the chief Fox of staff. News hosts no. are not the chief of staff. Trump is the chief of staff. Um he fears nothing and nobody. Um is that
0: a good quality for a president?
1: Um I think in some cases it is. I guess in some other cases you know, maybe it's a challenge. But but he is the person in charge. And I think any assertion otherwise is just pure fiction. Um I think the chief of staff in Trump world is very important. I think they play a, an important role. But is that the president role? calls the shots. The president's the quarterback. He's the, he's the center um, and the running back. <laughs> See He plays every role. That's unusual, though, is it not? It is, but he's a force in nature. and um, Obviously, I is think that everyone that's worked for him knows that. Is that what scares some people? It might. I mean he's certainly not intimidated by anybody. I mean he's Is he an intimidating not. person? Is he a bully oh, as this book a, describes a, him as? Well I think first of all, I think any president's intimidating. But I think President Trump is extremely intimidating, but in a way that I think um, I think produces at least as far as if you look at the economy, you look at judges, you look at ISIS abroad, um, I think you look at the results and they're pretty good.
0: That's the voice of Reince Priebus, President Trump's very first chief of staff. I'm Major Garrett, back for segment three in just a second. From CBS News,
2: this is The Takeout
0: with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging out with us at the tail end of your Thanksgiving week. I hope it was great. I hope we have a great Black Friday, Cyber Monday Just thanks for being with us. Again, our guest, Ryan Priebus, President Trump's first chief of staff. We did this interview for a piece for Sunday morning, and you may have seen a couple of clips in that piece from this interview. But there's so much raised by this book, A Warning, anonymous, written by an unnamed senior Trump administration official, that we thought this full interview with you would be helpful to you understanding or at least taking stock of some of the things alleged in that book and at least one first-hand witness's assessment. One of the things we're going to talk about in this segment in front of us is a very, very difficult time for the country and the president. Charlottesville, Virginia, what it looked like, what Reince Priebus takes away from that, and some of the things raised in the book about that. There's a lengthy description in the book about Charlottesville and the traumatic effect the president's comments after Charlottesville had on the White House staff. John Kelly had just taken over. You had you were not there at the time, but you kept in close touch. Was that a traumatic time in general, and did the president create unnecessary trauma in his reaction to Charlottesville?
1: Um, look, I was slightly out of touch by that point. I mean, I just left the White House. Um, certainly, it may have been a traumatic time, at least from what I've talked to folks about. It, it, it probably was, um, but I wasn't really around, in, obviously, at that point. I think I was actually out in San Diego. Fine place to be. Page 86. <laughs> I just
0: happened to grow up there. Uh, about Charlottesville. The American public can see that the administration is not doing enough to counter racially motivated violence. Why is that? Because ultimately, the man at the top doesn't show interest. In the minds of Trump boosters, problems such as white supremacy are an invention of the left to push an identity politics agenda. As a result, the president is reluctant to act, hesitant to lead the charge on an issue that might alienate some of his supporters, all while ignoring a deadly brush fire sweeping the hearts and minds of a small but menacing faction here at home.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that's overly simplistic. I think that's... What's the more complex way of thinking about it? Well, I don't think it is complex. I mean, I think that there are things going There's on. There's a simpler
0: the, explanation. Uh, on what? Why he's not acting, or why he uses the rhetoric he does?
1: Oh, I don't. I think he uses the rhetoric he does because he believes certain things that might be different than other people. I, I guess I just don't see what the point here is in, in the accusation. I mean, if you look at the President what he did on first step, if you look what he's done uh, on employment, if you look at, at some of the initiatives that he's put in place, I, I guess I just don't see it.
0: I guess the central allegation is that he's ignoring a deadly brush fire, sweeping the hearts and minds of a small but menacing faction.
1: I think he's come out every single time in public and and, and spoke about those particular incidents every time. I I just think it's too easy for a guy to hide behind an anonymous book and level these kinds of accusations and then require the rest of us to talk about these anonymous allegations. Come on, tell us who you are. And, and and make your case. And this to you does not read like an accurate description of how the president views either race or white supremacy? No, I don't think so. I've never witnessed that myself, either in public, especially in private. I've never seen that type of behavior, especially in private, because that's how you can kind of see where someone's coming from. And I haven't seen it.
0: Uh, this is something that's in the book that touches a little bit on current news and Clearly, you weren't there, but you might have some insight into it. So I'll read it to you. Page 148. This is about the president requesting Ukraine to investigate Hunter Biden. Direct quote. The system was not supposed to work this way. It's up to the Justice Department to probe potential crimes. American presidents don't implore foreign leaders to open investigations into domestic political opponents. But with a campaign consuming his daily mental bandwidth, Trump couldn't resist the temptation to use his office, to gain a competitive edge. The explanation that he wanted to combat corruption in Ukraine was barely believable to anyone around him. The obvious corruption was in the Oval Office. The president had apparently learned nothing from the Mueller saga, only we did. We learned that, given enough time and space, Donald J. Trump will seek to abuse any power he is given.
1: I mean, it's quite an accusation wow, that's heavy well it's also it's all it's also loaded I mean so the Mueller investigation I think showed number one there was no collusion number two, there was no obstruction. I was obviously interviewed for that particular matter, and I felt like I got dragged into something that I shouldn't have been dragged into, but I cooperated and and nothing came of it um Let's go back to what we talked about earlier. The president is the chief of staff. The president's the fulcrum. The president, the President Trump, is involved in thinking about almost every aspect of our government, whether it be the Defense Department, whether it be what's happening on the NSC staff, whether it be domestic issues, whether it be this issue with... Hey, let's, let's let's ferret out this corruption issue in Ukraine. He's got the authority to be the director of the orchestra, and that's how I think he views the presidency. And I think in most cases he has the authority. I don't know what in what case he doesn't. I'm sure there's judicial issues and things like that, but. How about, this, how about to the sentiment
0: that American presidents don't implore foreign leaders to open investigations into domestic political? I don't know opponents. if they
1: do or they don't. Honestly, I don't know what the answer, the legal answer to that question is. I don't know what the, what, to is what there, extent the, the, the Foreign Assistance Act goes. I mean, as is there far as the president's authority
0: of. Is there an appropriateness standard? Is there a precedential standard that we don't do that? I don't know we what haven't. the
1: standard is. I mean, I, I don't know what the legal standard is. Someone's going to have to make that case if they need to. I mean, if someone ends up having to make that case, they will. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the standard is, but I certainly know what one standard is, which is the president has enormous authority, enormous power over foreign assistance and setting the parameters of that foreign assistance. And so to then for, for, for some author to suddenly conclude in two sentences that it's obvious that the president overstepped his power. I just think, uh, under what basis? What is the legal basis for that statement? And and because you don't know who this person is, or to what legal basis they're making these accusations, it's very difficult to respond.
0: If I hear you, one thing that is coming across to me is, when you say the president's the chief of staff, he's the conductor, when he thinks of his power as his president, he's going to push them. And then he'll wait for someone to tell him he's pushed too far. But until that time comes, he's pushing them.
1: Well, no, I think he has ideas about what he wants to get done. He's got ideas from everything from agriculture to what's happening at the State Department. And I think he views his cabinet secretaries as people that are there to fulfill the vision that he has. And he's push. able to share and push his views and and his goals to the various departments that need to execute. And he, in in most cases, he expects those people either to execute or to tell him why they shouldn't execute or can't or can't. But he accepts. I've seen it. I mean, I've seen him he, he have the debate. What? He accepts the that limits of type his power. Of, no, he accepts that kind of relationship with his cabinet secretaries.
0: Have you seen him accept the limits of presidential power? Say, I want to do this. No, Mr. President, you can't unless you change the law or some other thing. This you can't do, even though you want to. You've, have you seen him accept those stated limits on his presidential power?
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Um, Does he do so willingly or angrily? Sometimes willingly. Sometimes there's a discussion about why some of those things need to happen, but but uh, nothing out of the ordinary as far as me being surprised or shocked. But keep in mind, I was in a unique situation. I was RNC chairman that became sort of part of the campaign. Me and Chris Christie were the debate preppers for the president. I was heavily involved in the transition and then became chief of staff. So, I mean, I've kind of seen... This decision making style.
0: Well, as you've noticed by now, not a traditional show. I don't have someone at the table with me because we already did this before. We've done this a couple of times before when we just think there's a body of information that's really good and relevant. Continuing our conversation on the other side of this break with Ryan previous You're listening to The Takeout. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast.
2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett.
0: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, Reince Priebus does not do very many sit-down television interviews. Go ahead and look on YouTube. You won't find many, and you will certainly won't find many as extensive about these questions. Raised by the book, A Warning, written by Anonymous, supposedly a senior Trump administration official. We don't know at CBS who that is. We haven't verified all the allegations in the book. But we want to have an extensive conversation, and that's exact what we have done. One of the issues raised in the book is that President Trump has a very different idea about presidential power, borderline imperial in what his powers are. We asked Reince Priebus about that very topic. One of the other threads in this book is there is something imperial about the president's attitude about his powers and what he wants to do, and he doesn't understand or appreciate checks and balances or limits on his power. Did he seem to you kingly, imperial, uh, misunderstanding the limits of his presidential power?
1: I wouldn't characterize it that way, no. How would you characterize it? Well, I I guess I wouldn't. I mean, I just, I don't know how to answer that. I viewed him as president of the United States, um, you know, a, a very engaged president of the United States that is involved in almost every department and decision that's being made that's of any consequence.
0: One other thing I want to ask you about, uh, because it deals with some of the president's rhetoric on immigration-related issues. Page 108. This is not the anonymous author saying he or she heard this, but, again, attributed to someone else who the author says told it to the author after a meeting in the Oval Office. This is supposedly, with all those caveats, a direct quotation (laughs) of the president.
1: sounds like quite a few caveats.
0: So it's an anonymous author quoting somebody else who heard the president say this. That's the that's the linkage. Uh-huh. "Quote: We get these women coming in with seven children," he told listeners, briefly attempting a Hispanic accent. Accent. They are saying, "Oh, please help! My husband left me." They are useless. They don't do anything for our country. At least if they came in with a husband, we could put him in the fields to pick corn or something. Does that sound oh, like? I them? never heard that. Nope. Does that sound like him?
1: Nothing I've ever heard.
0: That, that, just that whole idea. I've never heard Adopting like an that. accent, speaking in this way that sounds, or might sound to some people, is just patently heartless.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I've never heard such a thing come from the president. And, that's, again, it goes back to what I've said before. An anonymous person coming up with all kinds of accusations, some of them claiming to be first hand, some of them claiming to be second or third hand, it makes it impossible to respond to this kind of stuff. And I've not heard, I've never been experienced to that kind of accusation. There's also a contention in here,
0: which you might've heard either as chief of staff or later, that the president considered for some period of time, the idea of labeling those stopped at the U.S. border enemy combatants, meaning sufficiently dangerous enough to be associated with legally the term terrorist, or to ship some number of them to Guantanamo Bay? Did you hear either one of those things? Discussed, bandied, suggested at any level? No. Either inside or outside the White House? I have not. Does that sound like anything that would be consistent with his worldview? I haven't heard it, so... I mean,
1: then I, well, I've never heard it, so I don't know how to answer your question. If it's consistent, it's nothing I've ever heard him say before.
0: The author says that the book is supposed to be like the Federalist Papers, and that's why the author is anonymous, just like the authors of the Federalist Paper, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay. They were anonymous, so it's okay. Cloaking themselves in this uh, spirit of revolutionary purification. I gather you don't.
1: No, I think it's a cowardly thing to do. Um, I think you can you can write books and try to explain the president's style or decision-making style without violating the trust of the president, the people that you worked with. Um, and, you know, there's a way to be helpful um, and there's a way to be destructive. And I find this to be very destructive. And, and again, it, it, it's hard to actually analyze any of it without knowing who this person is. I think this person should come forward and say who they are. Where they were. And then answer the questions, just like, you know. Were
0: you in these places? Were you there? Did you you see memos? What did you know? We have
1: no idea if this person is 100% lying, relaying hearsay information, or or what. So analyzing it for the news media and for people like me and others is, is impossible.
0: Based on the arc of our conversation, is this book semi accurate, a wholesale
1: distortion, or onto something? No, I think it's, ba- I think these are, I think this is throwing mud up against the wall, trying to make money, um, hiding behind an anonymous label, and something that is not honorable for any person working in the White House or otherwise to do, and I think it should be treated as such. President Trump makes people uncomfortable. I think that's a fact.
0: Is that a disqualifying fact of an
1: American president? The president... President Trump won the election in many regards because people were looking for someone that would represent the biggest middle finger to this swamp that we live in called Washington, D.C. He is unconventional, but he would have never been elected if he was conventional. We had 15 conventional candidates. We had one Donald Trump.
0: You knew all of them, and you knew the 15 conventionals much better than you knew this unconventional Donald Trump. You've come to know him.
1: And it turned out that Donald Trump was probably the only candidate we had that would have beaten Hillary Clinton. And so the minute Donald Trump stopped being Donald Trump is the minute he can't get elected.
0: Or reelected.
1: See, I was the guy who said, don't tweet this, don't do that, don't do this, cautious to a fault. If he would have listened to people like me all the time, he probably wouldn't have won. And so what makes him who he is is also what makes him electable to the american people
0: and if you're uncomfortable as i suspect at times as his chief of staff you were he was onto something and you were still on a learning curve
1: well I, a little bit on a learning curve but i knew that it was his authenticity and who he was that made all of the folks back in wisconsin and pennsylvania and michigan love him even more so Donald Trump's strength comes from being Donald Trump. And I think he knows that. Ryan Priebus, thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for the main show. Many thanks to Riss for hosting us. Ryan Priebus was our guest. Make sure you stay tuned for the takeout outtake, especially all of it a little bit different, but continuing this conversation about the Trump presidency and his first chief of staff, his take on many issues. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. For more from this week's conversation, download the Takeout Outtake Especial, Tuesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farrin, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio.
1: Reince, come up here. Where is Reince? Get over here, Reince. Boy, oh boy, oh boy.
0: If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go...
2: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you.